On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla passes the point of no return on its transition to a vision-based autopilot system. The in-cabin camera will now be making sure you're not trying to pull any autopilot stunts. The first Tesla semi-megacharger site has been revealed and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey here with you for episode 304 of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast for May 30th, 2021. Daisy the Boxer Puppy is to my left, looking out the window, as she often does. And if you hear any additional smaller, higher-pitched dog sounds, uh, we're dog-sitting for my sister-in-law. So uh, there are two dogs in here co-hosting with me this week. And I am happy to say that our company very kindly closed down all all the operations for ahead of the holiday weekend a little early so i am recording earlier in the day here friday afternoon the sun is still out which never happens when i record so uh, happy to get this episode out a little earlier to the early access patreon backers so hope you guys enjoy it uh what else can i tell you i had a great time at the Peterson Automotive Museum last weekend. I'm going to wait and tell you about that near the end of the show so that those of you who just want Tesla news don't have to fast forward through it if you're not interested. Finally, one other just quick PSA this week. I wanted to apologize for last week's show, episode 303, Apple Podcasts just chose not to push the podcast out right at the scheduled 6 a.m. Pacific 9 a.m. Eastern time for some reason. I have zero control over it, and it just seems like it happens every once in a while. Uh, I mean, I, I go through the same process every week when I prepare the podcast and schedule it. It goes out on time on other podcast feeds, but sometimes Apple, which is where I know statistically most of you listen to this podcast, sometimes Apple will just decide, you know what? Nah, I'm going to just sit on this for a few hours. And inevitably, I get a couple emails of people going, wait, did anything, is anything wrong? Is everything okay? Uh, everything's fine. That's the good news. But it, it infuriates me when the podcast does not do what it's supposed to do, which is go out every week at the exact same time. Anyway, you can know that moving forward, the show is always supposed to be there for you on time, as I have proven every week for the past now, actually almost six years, coming up on the six-year anniversary of Ride the Lightning pretty soon. All right, time for your weekly dose of Tesla news. And as usual, there is plenty. First up, Tesla has deleted the radar in the new build Model 3s and Model Ys. From Tesla's blog on this, they write, we are continuing the transition to Tesla Vision, our camera-based autopilot system. Beginning with deliveries in May 2021, Model 3 and Model Y vehicles built for the North American market will no longer be equipped with radar. Instead, these will be the first Tesla vehicles to rely on camera vision and neural, uh, excuse me, neural net processing to deliver autopilot, full self-driving, and certain active safety features. Customers who ordered before May 2021 and are matched to a car with Tesla Vision will be notified of the change through their Tesla accounts prior to delivery. So I wonder if that could affect some of you out there. For a short period during this transition, 
Cars with Tesla Vision may be delivered with some features temporarily limited or inactive, including auto steer will be limited to a maximum speed of 75 miles per hour and a longer minimum following distance. Now, traditionally autopilot caps at 90 miles an hour, although I guess most people are probably not using it in 90. Uh, I do. I did just use it at 80 on the 70 mile per hour speed limit California Interstate 5 on the way down to the Peterson. So 75 is not terrible, but it's certainly not ideal for those interstate trips. Anyway, the other bit here, smart summon if equipped and emergency lane departure avoidance may be disabled at delivery. In the weeks ahead, we'll start restoring these features via a series of over-the-air software updates. All other available autopilot and full self-driving features will be active at delivery depending on order configuration. Well, the big takeaway here is the obvious one, and that is there is no turning back now. There, this is it. They have It's Back to the Future 3. They've hijacked the train. Uh, they've pushed the, the DeLorean with the train past the point of no return. There is no stopping in time for the ravine. This is it. The, 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 everything's going to have to work from here. I mean, I suppose if there, there is, uh, if something goes horribly wrong, there would be a way to turn back, but it would be an awfully expensive service bulletin to do it. I mean, I have to say, I'm kind of surprised that they're starting with the high volume cars on this. I mean, I see their reasoning. Don't get me wrong. They say that transitioning the three and the Y to Tesla vision first allows us to analyze a large volume of real world data in a short amount of time, which ultimately speeds up the rollout of features based on Tesla vision, end quote. However, there is certainly an argument to be made that they could have started with the low volume cars, the S and the X, although I suppose that would really only be the S for a while since we now know that the Model X won't be shipping for about another five, six months or so. I mean, that could have been viewed as the safer, more careful move. And that way you could pretty easily add it back in if you had to. But what this tells me is they must be confident. Uh, Elon followed this up on Twitter by saying, quote, Pure Vision Autopilot is now rolling out in North America. There will be an update of this production release in two weeks. Then FSD Beta 9, version 9, also Pure Vision a week later. FSD subscription, for those of you interested in that, will be enabled around the same time, end quote. By the way, uh, you may have heard a story about the thousands of cars that were piling up and just waiting on something before they could be delivered, a Tesla source has confirmed to me that they were waiting on new software, software that could run everything without the radar for that to be completed before those cars could be released. That has now happened. Anyway, uh, it's good to have a timeline from Elon here. And, and yes, yes, I know it's Elon time and we'll be lucky if it's anywhere close to what he just said. I mean, it hasn't really held thus far as he's given update after update on FSD version 9. But uh, they've been holding a lot of cars for a while now. And so I just feel like they would not be giving an updated timeline that's reasonably optimistic if, if things weren't getting really, really close. So hopefully the software is going to be ready as as this now is rolling out to the public. 
And again, we'll take a qu quick closer look. If this timeline holds, we're looking at the week of June 7th for the first update on Pure Vision, I guess for the rest of us that already have our cars with radar in them. Then the week of June 14th for FSD Beta 9, potentially along with the FSD subscription option right around there as well. What we thought would happen in May, or at least had hoped based on Elon's previous comments, now penciled in for June. So regardless, one way or the other, we are getting closer. On a related note, those newly delivered Teslas, and presumably the rest of us soon via a software update, will soon have our in-cabin cameras making sure that we're paying attention while autopilot is activated. This obviously won't apply to any Model S or X owners until the new S and then new X start rolling out, but it applies to everybody with a Model 3 or a Model Y. This comes via Twitter and the new Tesla owner, Kevin Smith, not the movie director, different Kevin Smith, who posted a picture of the software notes on his new, de newly delivered Model Y. And the entry on this reads, cabin camera updates. The cabin camera above your rear view mirror can now detect and alert driver in inattentiveness while autopilot is engaged. Camera data does not leave the car itself, which means the system cannot save or transmit information unless data sharing is enabled to change your data settings, tap control, safety and security, data sharing, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I feel like the literal backseat drivers who decided they wanted to be YouTube famous have dragged us to this point of requiring the cabin camera to be the nanny that keep that keeps a literal eye on you to make sure that you're uh, you're not doing any shenanigans while you're supposed to be paying attention while on autopilot. That said, this could still end up being a good thing as far as in-car. I mean, it's a good thing for safety, don't get me wrong. But it could also be a good thing as far as in-car convenience is concerned if the camera confirming that you're paying attention means that you don't necessarily have to have your hand on the wheel you know, and have that, that autopilot check-in every 30 seconds or so. Although, again, it's still a very good idea to keep your hand or hands on the steering wheel. But to be clear, that's not in this version. The autopilot check-ins are still there, but perhaps at some point they will drop that check-in in favor uh, of the camera keeping an eye on you. Next up this week, new patent filings have revealed a little bit more about the Cybertruck and Tesla's plans for it. This comes via Tesmanian, who writes, on May 27th, Tesla published the patent integrated tonneau cover for a vehicle. It is described that solar electric cells can be embedded in the tonneau cover. As described, they are electrically connected to a photovoltaic charging system and a battery. Quote, in one embodiment, the tonneau cover comprises solar electric cells that are electrically connected to a photovoltaic charging system and battery in one... <laughs> oh, I, sorry. It seemed like it was repeating itself, but they're just basically mentioned here. I'll skip ahead to the good part. The tonneau cover is deployed to cover the bed and the solar electric cells that make up the slats are facing the sun. The battery within the electric vehicle can be charged by the solar cells. So just, just some uh, repetitive patent speak there that even managed to trip me up on the second time I read this. 
I, I, you know, I have a rehearsal of sorts for the podcast when I'm when I'm putting it together every week. But there we go. I still managed to get tripped up on the on the patent speak. Anyway, uh, this is obviously not the first time that we have heard about a solar panel on the Tonneau, aka the vault cover. You may remember that Elon first mentioned this on Twitter pretty shortly after the unveiling of the Cybertruck back in 2019. You remember that he was super excited. He's always been super excited about the Cybertruck, and he started soliciting feature ideas from people after the unveiling, and he was very active on Twitter with specific regard to the Cybertruck in that window, and this was something that did come up. But this patent now is an indication not a guarantee, an indication that they might actually be serious about doing this someday. In the same way, just to give you another example, that Tesla patented the three Model 3 wheel designs from the Model 3 unveiling back on March 31st, 2016. You know, you had the you had the matte black car on stage that had the uh, 21 on that car, excuse me, 20 inch on that car aero wheels, which eventually got made as the 18-inch aero wheels. Then you had the silver alpha prototype in the center stage of that event, which had the 20-inch sport wheels that ended up getting made in both 19 and 20-inch varieties. And then on the red rolling mule on the far right of the stage, there there were the Uber turbines that did eventually come to fruition on both the Model Y performance and now today the Model 3 performance as well. So all of those got patented and those patents became public in the wake of the Model 3 event and those all ended up coming to fruition. So we'll see if this is the case, if this will happen for the Cybertruck as well. Now, uh, I've said before that I don't think this solar-powered vault cover, or excuse me, solar panel vault cover, pardon me, is going to happen anywhere close to launch of the Cybertruck, if it happens at all. Uh, I I think that basically in the early days of production, possibly the early years of production, I think Tesla's going to focus on keeping that production process as simple and streamlined as possible and focus instead on ramping up that production pipeline as fast as possible. Quite frankly, Tesla doesn't need the solar, uh, the solar vault cover to sell a single Cybertruck that they can make. Not for the first few years, at least. They are going to sell every single Cybertruck that they can build without that option complicating the production process. So I would expect this to be pretty far down the road if it is coming. But, you know, uh, even if you're out there listening and thinking, well, I really want that, and I want my Cybertruck as soon as possible because it'd be great to have that that solar energy generating tonneau cover for camping trips and things like that to power your gear while you're out in nature. I would hazard an educated guess here, and it is obviously just a guess, but I think the the solar vault cover could be a pretty good candidate for a retrofit. I think it's something where there's a good chance that you'll be able to purchase it after the fact and have it installed at a Tesla service center so that you could add it to your early production Cybertruck if and when this option does come along. So we'll see. Obviously, a lot of speculation on my part and all that. But as always, I'm taking my best 
educated guesses that I that I make based on obsessively covering this company week in and week out for many many years now. Uh, let's let me move on to something a little less speculative and a little more factual, and that is Tesla's first ever mega charger for the Tesla Semi is going to be installed at Frito-Lay's Modesto, California plant, according to documents. Here's Tesla Roddy's report on this, though I do want to tip the cap to drive Tesla Canada. They were the first to pick it up. I saw it on Tesla Roddy. And Tesla Roddy writes, after being unveiled in November 2017, Tesla received hundreds of pre-orders for the Semi, its first all-electric commercial vehicle. Frito-Lay was one of the first, as its parent company, PepsiCo, reserved 100 Tesla semis on December 12th of 2017, and Frito-Lay has 15 orders. Now, documents reveal that Frito-Lay is planning for the imminent delivery of the Tesla semi units. Marco RP Tesla on Twitter, uh, who Marco, if you, I'll just take a quick aside, if you may remember, Marco is uh, an absolute sleuth when it comes to all things with regard to superchargers. And now I guess we can extend Marco's expertise and eagle eye vision to mega chargers as well. Marco is always on top of all of the latest supercharger happenings around the United States and around the world, quite frankly. Anyway, Marco uncovered several planning documents that indicate Frito-Lay will install the first ever Tesla semi mega charger at its Modesto, California plant. According to the documents, Frito-Lay is also plotting out some space for designated parking areas for the Tesla Semi as well. I imagine those two things probably go together, the mega charger and the the, the parking spaces, because you're not going to want to ice those with your gasoline-powered semi-trucks. You're going to want to leave those spots free for your fleet of Tesla Semis. Well, we've been wanting and waiting to hear about the mega chargers for quite a while. I mean, honestly, you know, the, the mega charger infrastructure, it is a big key to the viability of the Tesla Semi. Not that I have doubted Tesla at all that that, that infrastructure would be there, but as far as we know, up to this point, Tesla hasn't begun building that infrastructure yet. I mean, granted, they've still got time, and they also won't need nearly as many mega chargers as superchargers, in fact, I mean, not even close. They'll really just need to focus on the interstate highways. That's really going to be where it's at because then it, when they're, when they're, you know, stashed overnight in cities and at plants like this, they'll be able to, to have, uh, I mean, mega chargers will still be useful because the battery pack is going to be enormous, but they, you know, they will be able to have multiple charging options available to them when they're, when they're not in use. Um, so you may have heard in the past or seen photos of the two currently active prototype Tesla semis that we've seen out and about, about how they charge up. They have these custom adapters that plug into, I believe, don't quote me on this for, for sure. I was looking at pictures and I couldn't quite tell, but I believe the adapter now that the prototype semis have been using plugs into three Tesla superchargers at once in order to sort of simulate a mega charge and get those Tesla semis juiced up more quickly. I mean, you can remember back too, those of you who've been around a long time, and I have not as an owner, but I have as an obsessive fan, the Tesla supercharger network wasn't there 
in the when the Model S shipped, there wasn't anything yet. It was just a little while longer that the first chargers went in along that San Francisco LA corridor and they slowly started to multiply from there up and down the California driving corridor and then the kind of the next batch of them were on the northeastern seaboard sort of Boston to New York and then the sort of rest of the country has filled in and filled out from there. So the expansion definitely is coming and it's it's definitely a thing that Tesla is I wouldn't say they're falling behind on it yet. Again, particularly because Tesla semis are never going to be in anywhere near the volume of production that the passenger vehicles are. That's just that's just it. So they won't need the infrastructure challenge probably won't be quite as significant. I mean, it, it's still complicated in that these are high octane chargers, but they're just not going to need nearly as many of them. So it, it is beginning. That's the good news. So Frito-Lay, good stuff. That's going to be right here. I mean, Modesto, if you're not familiar, is not quite Tesla's backyard, but it's sort of, it's Tesla's neighborhood. Modesto is is just a, a bit outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, next this week, to my Wisconsin friends, I have a PSA for you from Mike Kimkowski, the president of the Tesla Owners Club Wisconsin. And he writes, there's new legislative action beginning to happen in Wisconsin related to legalizing electric vehicle sales. We need your support at this crucial step in the process to ensure our elected officials hear from each of us. Fortunately, Tesla has made this very easy for us. All registered Tesla owners should receive an email from Tesla requesting your support and providing direction. All you'll need to do is browse the bill's key points, click auto sign, and the pre-formatted message will be automatically sent to your target representatives. This is very important since there are many new freshman lawmakers that might not be as familiar with the history and desire by Tesla owners to make EV sales legal in Wisconsin. Thank you for your support and commitment to move Wisconsin forward. Thank you for that, Mike. So... Uh, I always like to mention these because these I, I feel that these are important. If you would like to have your voice heard on this, be sure to contact your state legislators in Wisconsin, either by way of the method that Mike mentions, or if for some reason you did not receive that email from Tesla, just Google your state level representatives, and then you can call and or email and or write them a letter to show your support for direct EV sales in the state of Wisconsin. It's I'm really kind of bummed that I I do keep having to do these stories from time to time, but the state by state battle in the overall war, I mean I don't I I don't mean that. I mean I know that's a that's a heavy term. I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't use that. War that's too serious of a term, but the state by state fight to legalize Tesla sales in all 50 states rages on. So uh, to Wisconsin, to my friends in Wisconsin, I genuinely and sincerely wish you good luck on this. While I'm doing PSAs, here's one more from listener Chris, who wrote me to share an unfortunate negative experience with Tesla insurance that he wanted me to pass along to everyone else so that it hopefully won't happen to any of you. In short, he says that, quote, Tesla insurance will cancel your car insurance immediately the moment your payment card declines. Zero communication. 
changed your card recently and changed it in your Tesla account, that doesn't work. You'll need to call Tesla Insurance and specifically have them change the card on file, end quote. Uh, so thank you for that, Chris. And if any of you out there are using Tesla Insurance, and yes, I understand that at least <clears throat> as I report this, it's still only offered in California for the moment. Uh, it's planning to roll out wider soon. We know that. But I also do know that I have a lot of California listeners. I've actually, it's pretty cool. My podcast hosting provider, Libsyn, they do provide pretty cool breakdowns of of uh, the the sort of, de not demographics, but the, the at least the, the geographic downloads of this podcast. And obviously the United States is the, I get the most listeners in the US, but there are plenty, I mean, the UK, Canada, there are a lot of you out there. Uh, but Libsyn also shows me which states downloads come from. And that's pretty cool. And California is number one, which isn't a surprise just because this, I mean, it's Tesla's home base. There are a ton of Teslas in the state of California, but uh, Texas, way up there, way up there on the list too. So uh, it's anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting off track here. So getting back to Chris and his public service announcement with regard to Tesla insurance. So just anybody out there who is using Tesla insurance now, or if you're considering it either as a California resident now, or as someone in another state who is interested in it when it rolls out in your state, please do take note of this so that should you find yourself in this situation where you have a, a uh, you know, new credit card for whatever reason, that you can avoid the stress and headache that Chris unfortunately has run into as a result of this. And I'll spare you the details uh, Chris did send me a much longer email, but that's sort of the the takeaway and the gist of it for everybody else. And to Chris, I want to say, I, I wish you good luck in getting an amicable, uh, excuse me, amicable resolution to your situation. And Chris, thank you very much for emailing me so that I could pass that along to everybody else. A couple more things this week before I get to the Ride the Lightning hotline. First, a quick note, if you're ordering or have ordered a new Plaid Model S or Model X, specifically the Plaid, you are now able to order the walnut decor as an interior trim option. Because since the announcement of the Plaid, the, the new Model S and Model X that came towards the beginning of the year, carbon fiber had been your only interior trim choice if you were ordering the Plaid, aka the new performance version. And if you wanted the walnut, well, tough. You could only get the walnut on the, the long range, which of course the long range only goes zero to 60 in 3.1 seconds. So uh, yeah, it's what you just can't help but chuckle at because that'll still, you'll still destroy most anybody off the line in your new Model S, even if it's not the plaid. Anyway, uh, that is no more. So kudos to Tesla they have made that change now. So if you're ordering a plaid, you can do the walnut decor or the carbon fiber trim. You've at least got a choice. Thank you to the uh, Tesla Motors Reddit and specifically the Tesla Motors Reddit user, Jason Loves Tesla for spotting that and posting it. I'm not sure if Jason listens to this podcast or not, but if you're out there, Jason, thank you very much. And here, you know, I'm always happy, always happy to see Tesla offer more options Especially because as we've all seen, and I just got done talking about with my educated guesswork on the Cybertruck and, and the potential future solar vault cover, 
Tesla typically offers fewer options whenever they can possibly get away with it. So it's good to see them add an option here. On a more subjective note, it also means that you'll be able to really fool your passengers because they're unless they look at the plaid badge on the back of the car or know to look for the performance red brake calipers, they will get into your new Model S or at some point Model X and they'll just think it's a regular Model S, although with the sweet new interior, don't get me wrong, and they'll be like, wow, cool, cool interior. This is awesome. It's like the future in here. They'll see that wood trim, and they're not going to expect a 0-60 to 60 launch that takes only 1.99 seconds. You know, because at least with that carbon fiber trim, you get in that car, and if you don't know better, you're, you're going to see that and go, carbon fiber, huh? This thing's pretty sporty and performance oriented, isn't it? And then you'll probably still be taken aback by the 1.99 second zero to 60 time. But um, yeah, at least you can you can do it a little more stealthy now, should you so choose. And speaking of the Plaid Model S, one way or the other, I will have coverage of the delivery event next week. My hope is that it's going to be as a firsthand experience if I'm lucky enough to get invited, I, as of me recording this on, again, a little earlier this week, Friday afternoon, I hadn't seen any information anywhere about anyone uh, being invited to this. But obviously, it's there will be people invited. It's just a question of, are they going to invite media? Are they going to invite influencers? Are they going to invite whatever I am? Because I kind of feel like I'm one foot in one, one foot in the other. And the only people we know they're going to invite are at least some of you reservation holders, you order holders who are waiting on your Plaid Model S. Some of you are going to get to go. Uh, So uh, (laughs) this is a public event of some kind. I'm crossing my fingers that I might be lucky enough to attend. But anyway, we will see about that. Finally this week. If you would like to have your artwork memorialized on the walls of Giga Berlin, now's your chance. You can be a part, you can sort of contribute to the culture of Tesla. And I'm being completely serious here. Tesla tweeted this week, if you want to help cover Giga Berlin in awesome graffiti art, send us your work at gigaberlinart at tesla.com. So uh, that's all. I think that's awesome. Elon has been talking about how he's kind of envisioning an 80s rave theme for Giga Berlin and talking about the grand opening party having an all-night rave after the actual ceremony. And this seems to be in the spirit of that. They want to, you know, get the the graffiti art on the walls. Uh, I, I presume probably outside and inside walls. Tesla didn't specify here, but... Anyway, that's that's the address. If you're interested, if you, you know, I I know their math just simple math says that I must have some artists out there of all stripes listening to this. So if you've got a good idea for something or something already in your portfolio, send it Tesla's way. Giga Berlin Art at Tesla.com. All right, that will bring me to the end of this week's Tesla news block. But stick around; there is plenty more coming up. In this week's episode, first, your Ride the Lightning hotline calls. Got some good calls, good topics here. And then later on in the podcast, as I mentioned at the top, I will tell you about my experience visiting 
the next generation Tesla Roadster at the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles. So all that is coming up right after this. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. I've got plenty of great stuff lined up here in the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Thanks to everyone who called in over this past week. And I remind you that you are invited. I would love to hear from you and feature you on the podcast. You can call in in one of two easy ways. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record your question, please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less, and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can leave that same message right on the Ride the Lightning hotline directly, and that's a toll-free number. You just call and leave a message. It's 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Here's Pete from Carmel to kick us off. Hey, Ryan, Pete Chalet from Carmel, Indiana. I heard your piece on the gas tax issue in Texas, and I agree it's most likely that it's a uh, maybe a political thing. The other possibility, though, is maybe they're counting other factors. Could it be that they're accounting for additional grid load because of EV charging? Maybe that somehow funneled into some public um, you know, charging stations, or maybe it has to do with the strain on the grid in general and accounting for that monetarily. I don't know. I try to put a positive spin on it. Hopefully that's the case and it's not something nefarious. Thanks again for everything. Take care. Pete, I appreciate your call and you make a good point here. I shouldn't necessarily be so quick to judge without all the facts. I hope you're right. I hope there's more to this than what there appears to be on the surface. Although while we're on the subject, though, your call reminded me of, unfortunately, some bad news to pass along to the audience here. The 87th Texas legislative session ends, at least as far as when this podcast publishes officially, tomorrow. It ends May 31st. That's the last day of this Texas legislative session. And... Well, the 31st is a holiday, Memorial Day here in the United States. So unless some miracle happens after I record over the weekend, which I guess could happen, but it's as of now, it does not look like Tesla is going to get any change in the law there in Texas to be able to sell their vehicles directly to consumers before the Cybertruck goes into production. Because as you may remember, the Texas legislature only meets every other year. So that means they will not reconvene until January of 2023. And even accounting for any possible Cybertruck delays, it's going to be in production well before then. So uh, that's a real bummer because I know a lot of people out there want to go take delivery of their Cybertruck factory delivery at Giga Texas. Check it out. You know, get, take a tour, drive your truck home, but, oh man, that's a bummer. Anyway, Pete, thank you so much for calling in. It is always 
great to hear from you. Next up is the Real Life Tiny, responding to uh, one of the callers from last week about the 4680 cells in the Model Y. Go ahead, Tiny. DMC Ryan, it's your old friend, the Real Life Tiny. I was just calling to touch base with you, and I had a little comment about a response you had to somebody's question on episode 302 in regards to the Model Y, the 4680 cells, and the possibility of the Model Y having extended range. You made an excellent couple of points about Tesla kind of always being cell-constrained, plus the fact that uh, Fremont would have to uh, stop for a, a retrofit to, to uh, be able to produce the 4680 cells before they started doing that because the Model Ys with 4680s would have to, as you put it, coexist with the other type of cells, uh, the Model Ys with the other type of cells out in the wild. Um, the comment that I wanted to add to that is that what it also accomplishes is that it kind of bakes in the opportunity for Tesla to just flip, kind of flip a switch here in the near future, relatively near future. A couple of years from now, when Fremont is retrofitted and, and all of the different Gigafactories are ready to be putting 4680 cells into Model Ys uh, whenever they, they're ready to do that, they're able to just flip a switch one day and say, boom, Model Y has a range of over 400 miles or near 500 miles or whatever the case might be. Um, Elon has made the point in the past that it doesn't matter how much cash Tesla has on hand, uh, they can't necessarily continue to innovate at an unlimited rate based upon the cash they have on hand unless somebody can tell him where there's a store where he can purchase the best engineers in the world. This way, the engineering's already done, and since Tesla is the current king of range anyway right now, this way they can continue to ride that high of being the king of range until such time as the competition begins to catch up, and then boom, they flip the switch, and the 46 60- 680s are uh, un- unleashing the, the true range that's available in these new Model Y version 2.0, as you put it. So I just wanted to, to point that out. That might be an additional kind of uh, benefit to the 4680 cells and another added reason why they're not going to unlock that full range potential in the Model Y right now. But uh, I just wanted to call touch base. First time call. Love the podcast. Keep it up, buddy. Excellent call here, Tiny. I think great point. And I think you've added to my argument on that really well. And, you know, you said this was your first call. I hope it's not your last. You have got a great radio voice. And I'm being completely serious. You, I, The first struck me right away. I was like, wow, this guy's got a really good radio voice. So don't be a stranger. Thank you for continuing to listen and support the podcast. Let's keep it rolling with David from Dublin talking about Smart Shift. Hey Ryan, it's David here in Dublin in Ireland. Just a thought about the new smart shifting uh, feature coming to the the new model S and X. Is wondering if there's any reason that this feature couldn't also come to uh, to us Model Three owners, and that although we have a stock to shift up and down, there's no reason that the uh, the smart shift couldn't also uh, work where you can override it with your with the, the shifting lever, but um, but of itself, if it's just a piece of software, I don't see why it couldn't be uh, integrated into Model 3, Model Y. Um, and as I say, if we don't like the selection it's making, unlike the S and the X, it's even easier to override it, which is a quick uh, flip off the, off the stock. It's a feature which, I have to say, I would enjoy. Um, if it can accurately predict what you want to do, it would be one less, uh, one less thing to have to do. Welcome your thoughts. David, good call here because yes, I believe it will. That's a really good point to bring up that I confess I hadn't even really thought about, but now that you've made me think about it, yeah, I believe it will quite possibly sooner rather than later on top of that. There are plenty of features that might not make sense 
on the cheaper, higher volume cars that do make sense on the premium SNX. Like we'll give you an example, the second screen for the second row of the S and the X, but smart shift makes sense to roll out wide because number one, as you said, software, they could, they could do it. Uh, there's just nothing stopping Tesla from doing that. As far as I know, unless there's any kind of hardware issue, but I, I doubt it. Second, they could delete the stock in the three and the Y saving the money when let's say you multiply, let's call it a $1 part for the, just the one stock, not even two, one stock. Well, $1 part, 1 million cars a year (laughs) between the three and the Y, well, that adds up pretty quickly. I mean, heck, if they were willing to revise the steering wheel and add on the turn signal buttons on there and the, and you know, the basically, you know, kind of mirror the functionality of the uh, Model S steering wheel, if not the form, I'm not saying that they should necessarily go full yoke for the three and the Y, but they could seemingly delete both stalks on the three and the Y and have no stalks in any of the production vehicles. Uh, because I don't expect there to be any on the Cybertruck and I don't expect there to be any on the Roadster either. So we shall see, but yeah, this is a great point here, David. I think they may very well do it and do it sooner rather than later. Mark from British Columbia in Canada is next. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. It's Mark from uh, British Columbia, Canada. I just wanted to get your opinion on if uh, Tesla might have something up their sleeve for the June 3rd uh, Model S refresh launch. Maybe they'll be releasing uh, a Cybertruck uh, proto- revised prototype design or some information there. I know that they like to pull some cards out at the very end sometimes, keeping in mind that it is a pretty big event and day for them. They might not want to spoil that. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Love your podcast. Keep up the great work. The odds are 50-50, if not better, Mark. I think we can rule out the Roadster, given that Elon previously said that the final design drivable prototype wouldn't be done until late summer, were his exact words there. But as you mentioned, we do know that the Cybertruck design is finalized. So that could be a great opportunity to show it off. That is, if they've actually built a new prototype, Worst case is they could at least show it on screen. They could show renders or photos, you know, well, I guess they'd be renders if they haven't actually built one. You can't take a photo of something that's not real, but you could show a render. But anyway, uh, Elon did say a while ago that he would post images of the final version. So, and we've been waiting on that update for months now. So at least we know the door handles are probably going to be different because that came up recently as well. And the final version basically will have to have side view mirrors as well, since to the very best of my knowledge, the law in the United States with regard to side view uh, mirrors on cars has not changed. So yes, we will find out this week. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Let's go to Russ from Australia talking about Bitcoin. Hi, Ryan. It's Russ from Australia. I'm just calling in to try and help um, Jay from Los Angeles and you and the rest of the audience about Bitcoin. Um, Jay points out that it does require energy to do the the Bitcoin transactions, but it also requires energy to charge a Tesla. So what's the big deal? But I want to suggest that it's actually a question of 
degree, not so much a question of category. So I did a quick Google search and Google says that a single Bitcoin transaction uses roughly 700 kilowatt hours of electrical energy, which is the equivalent of powering a home, an average home for about 24 days. So a question you might ask is, um, do you want to use a Bitcoin transaction or normal money? And I think, you know, the two are very, very different in how much energy it requires to do that transaction. This has been a problem with Bitcoin for uh, quite a while. Um, another issue with Bitcoin is if it's farmed in places, which I think it is like China, and it's being relied on coal power plants and stuff. So there are some details like that that can make a big difference to the whole argument. Thanks a lot. Russ, thank you for helping continue to inform me on this. There's a lot to learn. And I didn't even realize that some of these cryptocurrency transactions used that much energy. I appreciate you explaining that. Uh, I think I'm going to call it for now on any more calls on this topic. But I encourage anyone out there, including myself, to go out and research the topic of cryptocurrency more on your own. Thank you, Russ. And thank you to everybody who's kind of chimed in on this topic in the last two or three weeks or so. Going next to Barry in Los Angeles. Hey, Ryan, it's Barry from Los Angeles, a longtime listener, first-time caller. Thank you so much for all that you do with this podcast for many years, for sharing your insight, your wisdom, your knowledge. It is so much appreciated, and you are awesome, and thank you so much again. Um, so I'm calling about autopilot. I have a 2018, December 2018 mid-range Model 3, and my wife and I were driving back from Palm Springs to Los Angeles the other weekend, and we had autopilot turned on in the left-hand lane, going about 80, 85 miles per hour, and all of a sudden the car swerved into the right-hand lane. Um, I guess for a moment there were no dashes, just for a few feet, and I guess our car was trying to recenter itself, and we almost hit the car in the right-hand lane, if that makes sense. I took over, and we were fine. But it was definitely a really scary moment, and my wife was definitely really alarmed. And, you know, we're planning a long road trip in a few weeks, and uh, the idea of using autopilot is really scaring her, and I get it. And so I was just wondering if you had any experience with this happening when you've driven your car or anyone else in the community has noticed this, this trend and whatnot, because it was surprising to me that the car wasn't able to pick up those lines in such a short, short moment. And again, on this major highway in Los Angeles. So um, any way you can alleviate concerns would be helpful. And uh, again, thanks for all that you do. It is so much appreciated and uh, take good care now. All right. Bye. Barry, thanks for being a loyal listener. Uh, number one. The bad news, though, is that I can't solve this for you, though I do recognize that's not what you're asking for. You're hoping that I can help reassure you and your wife, and I think I can, at least a little bit. So the short answer is that Autopilot does still occasionally do weird, unexpected things, even in places that you've been a hundred times. It can be lighting, it can be uh, the reflections, the markings on the road, as you noted, or just a lot of other factors. So it is important to keep your hands on the wheel or, you know, okay, at least one in a spot where you're ready to grab control immediately if necessary. I mean, for me on road trips, I tend to go with like one of my hands on either on the bottom of the wheel at either the, you know, five or seven o'clock position on either side of the sort of bottom uh spoke, for lack of a better term, of the steering wheel. Anyway, um, the other thing I can say is that, as you know, I mean, I know I'm stating the obvious here, autopilot is improving all the time. I mean, we're about to get that full vision rewrite that should, keyword should, fundamentally changed, uh, at the very least, 
how autopilot learns, but it may very well also change how it fundamentally behaves as well. So I wouldn't be afraid to keep using it. Just stay attentive with it as we all should. So safe travels to you, Barry. Thanks so much for calling in. Joe from Seattle is up next. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Ryan. Hope you're doing well. This is Joe from Seattle. Got a question regarding one of Tesla's recent announcements. Elon noted that they've just about eliminated radar from their full self-driving suite. So here's my question. If they eliminate radar from full self-driving, will they also be eliminating radar from the legacy enhanced autopilot? So will radar no longer be available in any old or new vehicle, or will it only not be available in new vehicles with full self-driving? Curious about your thoughts. Talk to you soon. Joe, it's always great to hear from you, and this is an excellent question. And while I don't know for sure without having an internal source at Tesla to confirm it, but the answer that makes by far the most sense to me is yes, because part of the whole reason for this is to teach the neural net a lot faster for the dojo to do its thing. So it wouldn't make sense to me to voluntarily omit a significant pool of cars in the fleet from being able to contribute to that data collection. If anybody out there disagrees, I'm certainly open to hearing other opinions on this, but it makes sense in my head. Joe, thank you very much for calling in. Uh, Let me go next here. I think our final caller this week is going to be Kaz from San Diego with a little, uh, a little, bird chatter, a little tweet, bird tweets, whatever those things are about about the cameras and the vision system. Go ahead, Kaz. Hey, Ryan, Kaz out here in San Diego. I wanted to respond to Graham in South Australia regarding the infrared. I don't know if I remember hearing this from Andre Karpathy on the podcast appearance he made or if it was a tweet from Elon or an interview of some sort, but these cameras, through the filtering that's used, have the ability to see into the infrared as well as the UV side of the spectrum on both ends. So though it's probably not predator-style full-blown infrared, it can utilize some of the infrared spectrum. So that should help mitigate some of the concern people have with losing radar. Because at the end, it's like Elon said, it's all data points. And if anything, the radar is slowing it down. But Tesla is definitely thinking about this, as we can imagine. They have some of the most brilliant engineers on the planet. I am excited to see what version 9 can do. Take care. Kaz, I hope you're right. Uh, That would be super helpful if it's there. And we definitely know that, as you mentioned, the cameras can do at least some kind of filtering. I mean, you can see that if you turn on your backup camera at night, for instance. Thank you very much for calling in. Thanks to everybody who called in. I welcome you. I invite you. Drop me a line. Would love to have you on the podcast. I gave the call-in information at the top of this segment, so refer back to that if something, if some inspiration strikes and you'd like to call in. But again, I'm not finished. I've got your pro tip of the week call coming up next, along with my account of my visit to the Peterson Automotive Museum and the new Tesla Roadster. So stay tuned for all that right after this. Okay, well, if you've been waiting for this part of the podcast, it has arrived. My recap of my visit to the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles. First, I want to thank my friend Michael, who had also finished getting fully vaccinated recently. We hadn't actually seen each other in a while, though we've texted plenty. 
and I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm going to do this crazy thing on just drive down on Sunday and probably drive back right afterwards to not miss, you know, not have to take off work the next day on Monday. Would you want to ride down with me? And at first he actually wrote back and was like, you know, thanks, but no, I don't think I can do it. And then he came back to me like the, a day later or something and was like, you know what? I want to go. So uh, it was really great to have to have him along for the ride. We got a chance to really catch up. And I'll tell you, you know, you've got a good friend when you can talk for what amounted to like, I don't know, 14 hours straight because it was all the way down <laughs> the visit at the museum and then all the way back. We didn't have and there was no dead air. We talked the whole time. It was fantastic. So uh, thank you, Michael, for for riding along. I know he's listening. So, OK, the Peterson Museum. We get there uh, in the middle of the afternoon, and we actually, we didn't go right to the Roadster because we knew we had the intimate viewing experience with it, the, the separate tickets for that, uh, later on after the museum had closed. So we just started checking out the museum. We, we were just walking around. There's a ton of neat stuff right on the ground floor. Uh, there is a a actual functioning warthog from Halo for my fellow video game fans out there. It's based on a 2006 Hummer. Uh, so they, they built one off of that for a promotional thing back for the release of Halo 4. So I thought that was pretty interesting because at first when I looked at it, I was like, oh, that's that's fake. That's not a real vehicle. But then I then I read the placard that, that explained the Hummer uh, basis and then looked under it and it had a towel underneath and it had like it was, you know, I guess it had been dripping a little oil. So it was a real thing. That thing actually runs. I thought that was neat. And then right in that same space. They had a couple of Batmobiles, which I've been a Batman fan since I was a little kid. I mean, I watched all of the Adam West episodes from the 1966 show uh, Nick at Night when I was a kid. And I was I guess I was I guess technically I was eight years old when when the 1989 Tim Burton Batman came out. And that became my favorite movie ever. I was obsessed with that movie. And the Batmobile was always so cool to me from that film. Well, they had one of them. There are apparently, the placard explained, there are several. So uh, I, that was really neat to see. And then they even had a, I believe I believe it was a replica of the 1966 Adam West Batmobile, which was neat. So really, really fun to see all that stuff. And then just making our way around the rest of the museum. There's There's so many interesting things to see. But we made sure I got tickets to go down into the vault and take the vault tour, which is it's down in what amounts to a parking garage where they just have a bunch of extra cool cars with no like formal placards. They're not in the active display of the museum. But I wanted to go down there because I knew they had one of the three original 24 karat gold plated DeLoreans. I'll spare you the whole story, but the the short version of it is this was one of the original two, and then the third one was actually the last DeLorean made because they had made spare parts for the two that did get made in case anything happened to them. Then when DeLorean was going under at the factory, they they knew they were going to all be out of a job and, and the end of the line was coming, so they assembled a third gold DeLorean, uh, This was, but this was one of the original two. And I knew a lot about it, but I was speaking to one of the museum guides down there. And what I didn't know is that this one has never been started, which is crazy. It was uh, the, 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 what I'm told is it was rolled into the, the first owner was a, a, a private 
I guess not, yeah, a private bank owner. The, this person owned a bank in Texas. And it was on display in his bank window to bring people into the bank uh, for many, many years until the Peterson got their hands on it. And I guess he just rolled it off the truck and rolled it into the bank and rolled it out. And I mean, I suppose it has been started. It would have been started back at DMC at the factory. They would have started it to make sure the car worked. But that's wild that it's it's basically never been started in 40 years. But that was one of the few rare DeLoreans that I've never seen with my own eyes in all my long years being with and around DeLoreans. So it was really cool to see it. It's it's something else seeing a 24 karat gold plated stainless steel car. So that was that was definitely worth it. But the Roadster itself, let me tell you about the Tesla Roadster itself. Again, I've had the privilege of seeing it twice before. The first time under really bad artificial event lighting uh, at the Tesla Design Studio at the Model Y event, and I couldn't get anywhere near the car, but it was still great to see it in person. And then I got a much better look at it at Battery Day, where it was sitting out in the bright California sunshine, the stunning red paint job just exploding in the sun, just beautiful, but you still couldn't get too close to the car. At the Peterson, it's under, yes, it's artificial lighting, obviously, but it's under professional museum lighting. So the car looked great. The paint job looked great. And you could get closer than I thought you'd be able to get. Like you can kind of, you can get within touching distance. Obviously, they don't want you to touch the car. I did not touch the car, but you're, you can get real close to it. And so uh, I got a ton of great pictures, which by the way, if you're curious, I've got a lot of them on my Instagram, which is DMC underscore Ryan on Instagram. So uh, you can take a look at those, but the the car, (laughs) it's stunning from every angle. It really is. It's, there's not a bad angle on the car. There's not a single like, oh, it kind of doesn't look great that way. Like, no. From head on, it looks like it wants to murder you. Like it came from the future. It was sent back through time to kill John Connor. Like that's the kind of look that this thing has from the front. And then from from the back, it it might actually look best. Like the back, I was about to say, the back might be its best angle. Like it's so, me- like it's so aggressive looking back there because you've got this wide but on this car with these incredibly cool taillights, if only the taillights could have been on for this, because the, the, the taillights, if you haven't seen them there, there's like a, a, it's a negative space, which I think might be airflow as well. Like, but I'm not positive on that, but it's just, it's like negative space and it's, uh, so it's kind of like a hole basically. And then there's the carbon fiber fin that bisects it and follows the body line uh, across the, the belt line, I guess I should say. And it's uh, the carbon fiber fin is what lights up. And if you watch the original Roadster unveiling, when Franz is whipping it around the, the little airport strip, you can see at one point the brake lights do come on. And, the, and so all that sort of cavernous space inside that fin area, that all lights up. So it gets this co- sort of cool brake light glow to it. So the, the, that's cool on the back end. And it's got the TES LA, uh, lettering, which is obviously a nod to the original roadster, which I really appreciate. And then it's just got this insane carbon fiber diffuser 
that just it actually sticks out a little bit from the from the back like past the bodywork at the back of the car and it's just it's crazy looking at these just the tires are if you think the model s particularly the new plaid model s tires are wide mm -mm. (laughs) the the roadster's rear tires which i have i mean i guess they're in photos somewhere um i I could try to pull it up for you. I don't want to get off track here, but there's just these enormously wide tires, Michelin Sport Cup 2s. They're probably double the width of my Model 3 tires if I had to just eyeball it and guess. But just a stunning car. The rear three-quarter angle is gorgeous. The front three-quarter angle is gorgeous. The the just side view, just looking straight at at the the side of the car, like staring at the, at the uh, head-on at the driver's side door. It's just got... It's really a stunningly beautiful car. Like it's, I would say it's, it's sleek and sporty for sure without being overly ostentatious. Like, and I say that is if you just pointed a gun at my head and said, you need to pick right now. What's, what do you, you know, Ferrari or Lamborghini? Like I actually would pick Lamborghini. I think Ferraris are beautiful, but I've always loved Lambos. So I, I like the kind of ostentatious, crazy alien looking supercars but i just think the roadster has this great balance to the design where it's it as i said it's it's very sleek it's very taut it's very muscular but without being crazy over the top so i wonder what the final as elon put it better looking version is gonna look like and again i talked about the paint job uh, but what, I guess what I can also tell you is one of my primary objectives when in, in going, making this field trip, as it were, was to get measurements off the car because uh, I need to know how wide it is and how low it is so that I can see if it's even going to fit in my weird San Francisco garage ingress and egress, just the whole, you know, Hashtag first world problems. Believe me, I, I understand. But I was really because I know that Tesla would never will just never give us the measurements of the car. I mean, and I know this isn't the final version of the car, but it's going to be probably really, really close. Tesla just won't give those measurements until the car's out. Like somebody in the community will post the final measurements before Tesla posts them anywhere. So uh, I needed to know how particularly how wide it was. And it is, at least the prototype, is give or take a tenth of an inch, you know, a fraction of an inch. It's 77 inches wide at its widest point. It is wider in the rear. Uh, So that's where I measured from. 77 inches wide, which is basically exactly the same width as a Model S. So that's, but it's, uh, it's the same width as a Model S, but it's 14 inches shorter than a Model 3. So, and it's also, as you'd expect, it's about three inches off the ground. It's, it's pretty low to the ground. I am very much hoping and, uh, just really hoping that it's going to have a front axle lift, uh, button in the, in the UI to lift the front of the, you know, with the, 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 what I presume will be a dynamic air suspension of some kind in that car, like what the S and the X have, except probably plus way up for high, high, high performance, Cause that's, you know, you've got that low, low car, the front end, the front, that front car carbon fiber lipsticks way out. You're going to need to raise that for driveways and, and things like that. So hope, hopefully that's going to be in the final car. But anyway, 
the what something I learned that I didn't know about this prior to really getting this up close look, the wheels are made of carbon fiber. They are carbon fiber wheels, which I never noticed or I think really couldn't see in pictures before. But in, in person, it's plainly obvious that they're carbon fiber. Uh, in fact, basically the entire car is carbon, like everything is carbon fiber. There's even uh, a carbon fiber trim piece in the dashboard. And then the the sort of upper part of the dashboard is Alcantara, which I had not noticed before as well. So uh, that's that's really what I can tell you. It's just, it was fun to, I, I just, I spent an hour just going around it, taking pictures and just, just, just taking it in. Cause I knew this is probably going to be the last time that I see that car for a while. Uh, and again, I'm blessed to have had the opportunity to now for this to be the third time I've seen it. And it's, uh, it's really just a stunning machine. It's, it's beautiful. And it's, uh, what I can't wait to see how it evolves for the final production version. I also want to mention one other quick thing about this little impromptu road trip to LA and back in a single day. My new, so one more thank you to the Tesla engineering team and the Tesla San Francisco service team who I mentioned on last week's show. They uh, reached out to me. They took a deeper look at my bizarre difficult to repeat post supercharging autopilot problem. They replaced my full self-driving computer and I did a total of five supercharging sessions during this trip and the car performed perfectly after each one, perfectly the entire time, not a hint of the problem as experienced before. So I'm pretty content at this point. I'm pretty confident in saying that was the problem. It was whatever, some weird thing with my autopilot, my hardware three computer that was in my car. So I hope the Tesla engineering team will study my old computer and be able to learn something from it in case this happens to anyone else at some point in the future. But really, really happy that that this the, the secondary objective of this trip, which was to do an acid test of this new replacement full self-driving computer, it passed that test with flying colors. Alrighty, time for the pro tip of the week. Dave from Prescott. Go ahead, Dave. Hi, Ryan. Dave from Prescott with a tip for listeners. I was returning a Model 3 loaner car to Tesla in Phoenix when I noticed that the airflow from the air conditioning was split and separated onto each side of the steering wheel. This naturally aroused my curiosity, so when I got back in my own Model 3, put my thumb and forefinger together, placed it in the center of the airflow of the air conditioning, and then spread my fingers. And lo and behold, the airflow separated into uh, dual directions, one on each side of the steering wheel. I don't like uh, the airflow in my face. So this is great. It uh, moves the airflow to each side of my face, uh, keeps the head area cool, and eliminates the face draft. As a first-time experience, I thought this was major cool. On another note, I was uh, cruising along I-10 when the car in front of me swerved to the right, exposing a 4x20 
piece of sheet metal sticking halfway into the left lane, forcing me to take control of the car to get around it. When things like this happen, I wonder if it's ever going to be possible to truly have full self-driving. Dave, thank you very much for calling in with this one, because this is one of those pro tips that I had heard about forever ago, but I now realize Tesla doesn't explain this at all in the car, so a lot of people might not actually know about it. Yes, you can split each of the front seat climate zones from one wave of air into two. I use this one myself, in fact, so I hope some other people out there benefit from this one. Thank you again, Dave. And once more, if you've got a pro tip of the week, call in with it. I gave you the call-in information earlier in the show, but if you've got something of interest that's you want to share with your, your fellow owners and enthusiasts that might not seem super obvious, I'd love to hear from you. All right, and with that, it is time to wind down and wrap up Ride the Lightning episode 304. First, I want to mention the Patreon. So I'm out here doing work every week. Hopefully you like it. If you made it this far, odds are you probably like it. (laughs) So I hope that at some point in time, whether you've been, maybe you've been listening for a while and and I have earned your trust and and you earned your support. Maybe you're a newer listener and and I've still got to earn that trust and support. But I do hope that at some point you might think, you know what, maybe I will support Ryan on Patreon because I really enjoy his podcast and and the effort that he clearly puts into it. So you can find all of the information about the Patreon and the different levels that you can pledge at on my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Those support tiers start at just five bucks a month. So what is that, like a cup of coffee? And uh, that will get you early access to each week's episode. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, in this case, the uh, Patreon backers at that tier or higher are going to get their episode pretty early this week. So you can join that crowd if you so choose. And I'll also mention that if you just want to say, yes, I'd like to support you, Ryan, but I just kind of want to pay once, not every month, there is an annual option. And if you choose that, it'll just bill you once for a year and it'll even give you a 5% discount for doing that. So perhaps that will be of interest to you sometime, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's at some point soon. Next, let me mention Immaculate Reflections. My wonderful detailing friend, Jeff, the guy is an absolute wizard as far as detailing goes. He will take such good care of your car. And if you mention that you listen to the show, there's a discount waiting for you. So you can book in with him but via his website, which is irdetailing.com. He offers, I mean, every major detailing service that you can think of. You know, the, the, the big three are paint correction. There's paint protection film. I guess that's probably the most popular one, right? You get, get that protective film on at least the front of the car, if not the whole thing. And then ceramic coating. If you really don't want to be bothered to wax your car for the next three to five years, get it ceramic coated because that's what it does. It is a super wax that will, and the water will just beat off your car. My car is rolling proof of that. So irdetailing.com there. And then don't forget about, of course, my friends at abstractocean.com, purveyors of so many wonderful Tesla accessories, aftermarket accessories, whether you're doing a glass screen protector for your 3 or Y, or whether you're doing a rear footwell lighting kit, 
Uh, there's just a million things over there. AbstractOcean.com. Use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout and you will get 15% off of your first order. RTL Podcast, all one word. So don't forget that. Save yourself a few bucks on that one. Meanwhile, the snap plate. Don't use the front license plate bracket that Tesla gives you that requires, that, that tapes to the front of the car. At least the, the three and Y one for sure does. The S, I don't think that one's taped on it because it comes, yeah, and then the, the X, I think the X one might be adhesive too. Anyway, you don't want to do that. Get a snap plate instead. It's uh, It snaps on and off in seconds, but it goes on securely. It's paint safe, grill safe, radiator safe, autopilot safe. You can take it off for car shows or while you're cleaning the car. You can put it back on if you're going to be at a parking meter, something like that. So get yours at everyamp.com slash RTL, everyamp.com slash RTL. And then puretesla.com slash RTL, your one-stop shop for your dash cam and sentry mode needs. They use a micro SD based solution for their kit, which is much, much more reliable long-term than the USB flash drive memory. So I, I've, again, I'm a, I'm not just uh, a, a mentioning a friend here. I use it myself, puretesla.com slash RTL, 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit, and it's shipped anywhere in the US for free right to you, pre-formatted and ready to go. Just plug it right into the car after you open up the package. It could not be simpler. And then the Jada family of products, I recommend first and foremost, for those of you with uh, pre-2021 Model 3s, get that Jada wireless charging pad. They're now up to the fourth version, version four, which has an even more premium look and feel to it in addition to the upgraded charging features that they added for version three, which is what's in my car, V3. So grab that thing if your Tesla does not already have a built-in wireless charging pad. They also have the Jada USB hub to add some extra USB-A and USB-C ports, as well as the Jada SSD drive that is a custom fit with the USB hub. That'll that, So if you want to go that way to take care of your dash cam and sentry mode needs, you can do that. And then their newest product, the Jada center console tray, a nice little organizer for your center console tray that will also, it's got integrated wireless charging for any of your wireless headphone devices like AirPods or Pixel Buds. Use the coupon code RTL, no matter what you're buying, because that's going to save you some money. And please use my referral link when you order. If you please, that link is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada is spelled J-E-D-A. I do believe, let me make sure that's everybody. I think that's all the friends of the podcast. I mean, there's also the the dog. I've mentioned a number of times the uh, the dog hammocks. I get asked about those a lot. Uh, the dog hammocks that that uh, the Teslarati marketplace has. So do shop.teslarati.com slash RTL to find that. And they got a million other products over there as well. But the the uh, the dog hammock for the rear seats of any of the Teslas. That's the thing that I seem to get asked the most about, so I'll mention that as well. I think that'll do it. 
If you are not already following the podcast so that episodes get delivered to you promptly and you don't have to think about going to find them, you can follow the podcast on any of the major podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify, which those two are both in your car, so you can listen directly in your Tesla without needing to Bluetooth it off your phone. And I'm also on YouTube. It's just audio only, but if you do prefer to just listen through YouTube, I'm on there as well. Just search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube and you'll find my channel easily and can subscribe from there. All right, with that, let me say a big thank you to all of the Plaid, Maximum Plaid, and Roadster in Space tier backers of the Patreon Starting with the Roadster and Space crowd, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, my friend on Twitter, at Rodam, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, and Neil Weaver. On the Maximum Plaid side, the newest Maximum Plaid backer, thank you to longtime supporter Jeremy Harris for stepping up to the Maximum Plaid tier. Jeremy, I cannot thank you enough. Jeremy sent me the sweetest note along with it as well, that it genuinely made my day. That's, I just, I love hearing from everyone. It's like, not everybody has to write me nice notes, but it's just, it's always, it's just, you know, it's people just, when they write me, you know, we're, we're just, we're talking about Tesla and everybody's so enthusiastic about it. We just have the shared thing. That's why I love doing this. That's when I, when I started doing this, I kind of had, I never really thought about that side of it. This was just a podcast I wanted to start doing because I was passionate about it, but now I just, I get to hear from all of these fellow super enthusiastic people who are all so nice. And it's just been my favorite unintended consequence, I guess, because that sounds bad, but it's actually totally good. But that like the unintended or unexpected positive side effect of, uh, (laughs) of this thing is just, I get to hear from all of you and it's just so much fun to to get your calls and your emails and your tweets and things. So anyway, thank you, Jeremy Harris. And then the rest, the rest of the Maximum Plaid crew, Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Jackson Wallace, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversole, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of, of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Mait Suaro, Derek Nesselrote, and Justin Perez, and then the Plaid Crew. I don't remember if I might have mentioned, uh, well, the, the latest one there, regardless, is Nick Dean. I just can't remember if uh, Rick was new last week and I forgot to update my notes. But in any case, thank you, Rick, and welcome. Thank you for your support. Along with George Cassiopo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Robert Maracle, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondal, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, Tesla Owners Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Chris Beach, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, 
Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Scott Gillis, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, and Joshua Walker. Thank you all very much for your generous and ongoing Patreon support. With that, I will bid you adieu while the sun is still shining. I'm going to go out and walk Daisy now. That's, I think, my, my next move here as I get my holiday weekend started a little early. I am grateful to my employer for that. And I am grateful to all of you for your time and your attention. Those are extremely valuable things. And those are, I mean, I guess attention is earned, time is given, and both of which I am extremely grateful for. So I thank you all for continuing to listen here. 304 episodes in. I'm just getting warmed up. As I've said many times, the next couple of years of Tesla are going to be as exciting or more than the previous, all the previous years combined. I mean, it's just a fun time to be following this company and, and waiting for these new cars. There's just all sorts of fun to be had. So I'll be here with you every step of the way for that every Sunday no matter what Apple Podcasts says on occasion, every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, or if you're backing me on Patreon, earlier than that. And so, for Daisy the Boxer, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning 304, and I will see you back here next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make... It's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.